This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. Hi, my name is Paul Parisi, and we're talking today on the Edge of Innovation with Amanda Greaves, who's an interior designer based in Beverly, Massachusetts. Let's listen in. Now, how competitive is the interior design world? I, I know I tried to get an interior designer to call me back, and that seemed almost impossible. It, so, why? It depends. It depends on the field that you're actually designing in. Okay. So for myself right now, I'm working on a hotel, which uh-huh. is located in Groton, Mass. Okay. And this is where there's a lot of investors that come in. And the scope and the breadth of this hotel has taken on a life of its own. And so I have had people call me, and it, it's what? It's August. I've had people call me recently and they ask, hey, we're starting a new home. When do you think you can meet with us? We're hoping to break ground at such and so. And I'm not taking on new clients for another four months because I understand that I just do not have the ability to give anybody that kind of attention if I add more projects. I feel that over the last seven years starting my own business, running my own business, I've created a network of builders, architects, previous clients, friends, associates, a lot of relationships where fortunately for me, advertising isn't something that I think about because in the very beginning, all I ever did was network and, and I you know did a couple magazine ads. But for me, it's the value of the relationship that you develop with your clients and then it becomes word of mouth. And the value of the relationships that you develop with the contractors, the builders, and the architects, they enjoy working with us. We enjoy working with them, and we do the best we can to pass the the work back and forth. But how do you personally deal with the fact that you have to not do an exciting job or a lucrative job, and you you have to say no? Personally, that's a very good question. A lot of it will be... It's some. It's sometimes it, to say no to the possibility of X and so more revenue or profit or what have you. I look at the sanity of myself and my staff, and and I try to, I try to assess and say, hey, do you think that this is something that we can take on? And we we have a project board in our office that has all of our projects listed up there. What's active? What's active priority? What's on hold? What's pending? And if we look at that and I can't see the actual board itself, mm-hmm. it's a very quick and easy answer because I know mm-hmm. through experience how the schedules work. I'll know through the lifetime of the existing projects that we have who's going to be an easy breezy client mm-hmm. moving forward or what some of the deadlines are and the importance is for my attention to another client aside from somebody that's new. If I tell a client that I'm not able to start with them right away, I typically don't ever say no. I will just say I'm not able to start this until this time frame or that time frame. And I'd say nine times out of ten, they say thank you very much and they go and find somebody else. And it's because they want something right away. One of the blessing and a curse right now in the industry, everybody, designers, architects, builders alike, we're busy. It's very, very different than it was when I started my business seven years ago. It's just the economy's changing. I I think people are more confident in what they have in their back pocket. And I think that the real estate market's a little crazy right now as far as the residential side. But I also think that 
people are comfortable with where they are and they are willing to spend some money on the things that they really want. Investments are up for yeah. some. So so it's just it's the design business is driven by and drives along with building and architecture and the real estate market and the general economy itself. So now you mentioned this project in Broughton. Mm-hmm. It's a hotel. It is. How many rooms? When when we started the project, we were talking about a boutique inn, and it's now a 60-room boutique inn. I'm not quite sure how we can define the boutiqueness aside from... So are you there quite often? I go every Tuesday. So every Tuesday. What happens? So just to give somebody a flavor of what you're deciding or shepherding yeah. or what you're doing. I'll give you just a little bit of history of the project. The Groton Inn was the longest continuously running hotel in America. There's a there's stipulation as to when it was actually built and when it started, but it's sometime between the late 1640s and like 1710 or something. So there's like a 50-year, geez, we don't know when it started. Continuously running, presidents have stayed there, important people, until 2011 when it burnt down. And at that point, you know, the town of Groton, as I am very quickly learning, is deep, deep, deep into their history, their heritage, their farming, the Indians, all of it. And there's been a lot of really phenomenal people that have lived there, that stayed there, artists, writers, politicians, etc. So the value and the desire to bring this hotel, quote unquote, back to life has been huge for the community. And so there's a big group of investors and... It started as a 40-room inn a few years ago. The scope ended up changing. It got put on hold, and now we're at 60 rooms with a full-functioning banquet facility and small restaurant inside the inn and then a 2,500-square-foot restaurant in a different building behind the inn that's going to be running simultaneously but with a different design. My responsibilities when I go to site on Tuesdays at this point is... What's the door schedule? Do we have the right door sizes? What are all the door numbers? Are they swinging in the right direction? Okay. Hey, Amanda, have we made sure that the vanity sinks line up with the wall sconces that are above it? And can you walk through us and go room to room to make sure that there's not a beam above that w- is going to prevent us from running a toilet line or something like that? A lot. You're walking into these rooms and doing some close engineering. I, I can't say that I do any engineering. I it's Possibly yeah. at this point, the point that we're at right now, that would be too late. The engineers have been involved long before I got on board. And it's interesting coming from an engineering perspective, they start with nothing right. and then they move forward. For me, I try to start at the very end and work backwards. So I'm, in my mind, seeing the finished product and knowing that everything has to line up properly or it's going to feel weird. Yeah. And, and for me to come in and say, I really want a wall sconce here. And they say, no, you can't do that because there's a post in the way. Mm -hmm. Well, then I either need to figure out how the post can be adjusted before it gets installed or adjust my design on the outside or on the, on the finish. Always worried about keeping current with IT? Savior Labs is an IT and web services firm that cares for your business and team. Savior Labs solves problems so you can focus on what you do best. Prepare for 2018 with a free IT assessment. Just follow the link in our show notes and enter code SAVIOR, S-A-V-I-O-R. 
Well, thanks to our sponsor, Savior Labs, for that. Let's continue listening in with our interview with Amanda Greaves. We do. We use two different programs, Revit and AutoCAD. And the Revit program is phenomenal for three-dimensional renderings. And it, you know, our ability to create an image that shows the client what the room is going, room or rooms or building is going to look like when it's done before they even break ground is so super valuable. It's, it's gotten me projects because I've been able to put some time in you know, pre-project wise and say, all right, if I'm jockeying for position, you, to go back to your question, right. is it competitive? Yeah. In larger jobs like this one, yes, it is. So I, we actually developed a couple rooms in this Revit program and, and presented it and said, this is what we think you're in is going to look like. It's, it is, you know, just, I just have to make sure that I've asked my clients the right questions. Are we going traditional or are we going contemporary? What kind of style are we looking at? The drafting programs are amazing, mm-hmm. but then, we, you know, we use some basic ones like InDesign and PowerPoint and mm-hmm. such, so there's a lot of different programs that we use to get our point across. So, now, when you do that, though, does that help you say, oh, my gosh, that beam is going to be a problem? Yes. So, do you work with the, do you, do you take the architectural drawings and enhance those, or are you just both so lots of times for for example at this inn we were giving the architectural plans and you know we were coming at it from the finish end of fabrics Mm -hmm. what's gonna where the bed's gonna go the headboards window treatments what's the vanity i got hired to do this project in november and that was six months too late for me to get started so i've been working on it since november I should have been hired about a, a year and a bit ago, and it's only been about eight or nine months. So, I say should have in the essence optimal. of, yes, optimally, time frame-wise, it would have been better. Right. But at that point, at some point after that, the hiring decision is made, you're starting to think about what the room is going to be painted mm-hmm. and what fabrics you're going to be in. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, like you said, you're thinking of the end. They're thinking of the blank sheet of paper, and you're sort of racing towards each other, and hopefully you're going to meet. Yeah, and when we crash, it's it's very interesting. Fortunately for me, the architect I'm working with, we've done probably a half a dozen projects together, and he's great. And so our communication is is second to none, which is very, very important, no matter how you look at this. It's very critical. So they'll come to us with, this is how the rooms are laying out, here's the structural design, and I'll come back and say... The furniture doesn't fit this way. Maybe we can move these types of things around before we start building it. So, and once, you know, once we get into it, there are times where we will all walk through and say, it looked good on paper, but it does not feel good at all in the space. Uh, We assess how much value there is to changing it. And lots of times the value that we speak of is are we thinking of the end user as far as whether it's a homeowner or a guest of a hotel how much more money are we actually going to be able to generate if we move it three inches to the left how much is it going to cost us to move it three inches to the left and so we have to have those discussions so do you have an example of that with like a homeowner that you had to make some substantial changes because most homeowners have some sort of situation yeah. like that because the way that I do a lot of my design is design build. We get the basics. We get the design going. We, we understand the style and the type of cabinets. We get through a lot of the 
plumbing fixtures, light fixtures can happen a little bit later. But a lot of my residential clients, and even some of my commercial ones, not as many, they need to physically be in the space in order to understand what's going on. Looking at a piece of paper, that's one of my checklist questions. Without trying to be condescending or belittle anybody, I, I try to, as politically correct as possible, ask if they know how to read floor plans. Because I have come up with a few clients that do not. And I ask them, if I bring a floor plan yeah. of a room or of a building or whatnot, and we're looking at it, and I read the face of my client, uh-huh. and they are not paying any attention, or I ask them a question, and I point, and their eyes kind of get a little funny, I will then just I'll blatantly ask them, how do you understand? How do you interpret what's going on? Do you see it in your mind? Can you actually understand what we're looking at the, on this paper? Do you need me to turn it around so you're sitting in the same direction that the house will be built in? And, you know, there's only been a couple people that have said, yes, I know exactly what's going on, and they've had no idea. But it, it's important. And unless we have clients that say, no, nah, just do whatever you want. We'll be back in six months. Check on progress. It's very dangerous, but I don't really have many clients that are like that. You know, it's it's very interesting. I just have to be honest, I have to be open, and I have to be genuine with my questioning and not insult or, or upset anybody. So how do you keep people informed for projects? Do you call them? Do you email them? We call them, we email them, we meet on site, we meet in my office, we go to showrooms. I've had people go to various different plumbing showrooms, climb into tubs and sit on toilet seats mm-hmm. because these are the important questions of the day. Yeah. And there's different lighting showrooms. When it comes to things like crown molding and baseboard, I can go online and find in, you know find images online, show them, hey, this is what we're thinking we're going to do. Some people do not care at all. They just know that they want something that looks good. And some people get really involved. I had one client that loved decorative hardware. Loved it. And they, you can spend a lot of money on the right types of decorative hardware. So, and then there's some people that really just don't care. So everybody is different. Today, we've been listening to an interview with Amanda Graves, an interior designer on the North Shore of Massachusetts. This is part one of three. Tune in next time for part two. Be sure to check out our show notes where we can get in touch with Amanda and see some of her work. Thank you so much for listening to the Edge of Innovation. We do appreciate so much feedback and comments from our listeners, and we would encourage you to do so. Thank you. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash PD Parisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.